maybe in a past life I was a middle-aged man. You know, I think about maybe. that often. I feel like I might have been. Or maybe, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it at middle-aged man. This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And I'm Yara. And if you haven't joined us before today, thank you for being here for the first time. We are currently coming here to review our experiences over the weekend of around the game between UGA and UAB. If you haven't listened to one of our review episodes before, we'll be hitting this from both a qualitative and quantitative standpoint. You're going to hear recaps of our days. You're going to hear Yara yelling about Deion Sanders, I imagine. You're going to hear me talking about how my wife thinks Dan Lanning is hot. And then also we're going to mm-hmm. talk about stats and what we saw on the football field and what we think of this game meant for UGA as a whole. Yara, where can the people find us if they want to get even more involved? I'm so glad you asked. If you want, if you like what you hear today, you can come check out our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can come join an amazing community of people. Come talk about football. Come talk about anything you want. This is, it's a fun space. So patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. Um, yeah, let's, let's get qualitative. Come and get it. All right. So we're going to start our quality of preview <laughs> with some newsy stuff. First of all, right off the top, the head dog himself, Kirby Smart, just completed his 100th game as a head coach at UGA. Congrats. And he went 85 for 100 in that time, giving him the highest win percentage over his first 100 games of any SEC coach, including, you might note, Nick Saban. Any reactions to that? Boo. Or, you know, this is, I will add, this is in history, not just SEC coach currently. Uh, that So that includes the incomparable Bear Bryant. And, and Steve Spurrier. Hey, now Steve Spurrier Oof. as well. We, it's kind of we, a big deal. We love to see it. Yeah, we love to see it for a boy. Kirby Curbs. So mm. I gathered some quotes, and I always have to attribute the quotes that I gather from the press conferences to other places, and I don't like doing that. So today I watched Kirby's entire press availability and hand transposed wow. the quotes that I bring you because I don't like, I'm petty like that, and I don't want to give anybody else credit. So here's some quotes that I thought were notable or newsworthy or just that might get a reaction. Let's see. He started the top by complimenting fans, which has been kind of a refrain through the years for Kirby. It, you know, it's coach speak and lip service, but hey, he, at least he's not calling us out, which is something that other coaches have done. He said, I thought we were really aggressive and played faster, especially on offense. And in relation to the defense's sort of less than stellar or consistent performance, he said that the score before the half probably hurt us the most. To me, that's a reflection of the fact that that I feel like that that two minute drill score from UAB was sort of a breakdown in operations of the defense. And he actually backed that up because he said a lot went wrong on that drive. We missed tackles. We didn't communicate well. We had bad eye control. They out executed us. So I think it seemed like that of all of the moments in the game that that two minute drive was the thing that pissed Kirby off the most. Let's see. Mm -hmm. He said that their motto for the week was be hungry and be hungry to get better, which I dig. He also said that 10 of 13 on third down and six of six in the red area, that'll get you right quick. So he was happy with the offense's performance. (laughs) Somebody asked him 
another kind of news note is that Brock Bowers recorded his 2,000th yard receiving as a Georgia player. And someone asked him if they ever imagined that Brock Bowers, or if he ever imagined that Brock Bowers would have 2,000 yards in his time at Georgia. And his response was, not until I saw him catch and run, no. <laughs> and then I could. So he was like, as wow. soon as he, he basically said, this part I'm paraphrasing, that as soon as he was on campus and he saw him in the first camp, that he thought that he could be that good. Which, you know, good analysis, Kirby. Accurate. Anyway, uh, he was talking about the construction of the schedule, and he said he really believes in playing a neutral site or playing a road game in the first few games, and that he, like, the thing that bothers him the most about the schedule this year is that we had the home, first four games at home without really a test on the road or outside of Sanford. Of, on Javon Bullard's absence, he said that, you know, you kind of just have to plug and play. It doesn't change the defense. But he did say that Javon Bullard is a field generator, a field generator. Whoops. A field generator. Uh, yeah. He said that Javon Bullard is a field general and a communicator and that obviously his absence had hurt. He also said that he thought that the offense was playing up to the standard that they try to maintain, but the defense was only playing in spurts that well. He used the word spurts quite a bit in his press availability, and I'm saying it here a couple of times just so that you have to also experience what I did in terms of Kirby Smart's diction and the use of the word spurts. Spurts. So, any reaction? Yeah, you're spurting. <laughs> any non-spurt-related reaction to our <laughs> our favorite man named Kirby's press conference and or any other news around UJ football? You're really limiting me here, Nathan. Mm-hmm. By taking away my chosen language. So, uh, okay. <laughs> I guess if you want to give, if you have any spurt related takes, I guess now's the time. I think the defense, you really played in spurts. And so, you know, I forget. <laughs> so, it's a shame this is a, an audio medium because I wish the, the folks at home could see Nathan with his hands and his, his face in his hands. Yeah. Well, I kept on having to rewind to get the quote exactly right. And I got like halfway through copying down this quote about how good he thought the defense had said or had played. And he had said the word spurts like six times. And then I just deleted it all and just wrote spurts in quotation marks. Because that's what I took away from it. <laughs> Them anyway, spurts, baby. Uh, we had a couple of spurting. interesting results around the league and around the nation. But I'm going to focus here on the... SEC ones, uh, USC, South Carolina 37, Mississippi State 30. <coughs> Spencer Rattler is good, but the rest of the team isn't. There we go. LSU 34, Arkansas 31. Arkansas was game here. They played a hell of a game to keep it close, but I think LSU is probably the per the most likely representative from the West for the SEC championship this year. Let's see. Bama 24, Ole Miss 10. Lane, you can't talk tough you, game. You can't talk that much shit, Lane. You got to back it up if you're going to talk that much shit. I, mm -hmm. he, Lane spent the whole week just absolutely trolling Nick Saban and then just face plants with one offensive touchdown. Embarrassing. Yeah. I just, I still continue Lane to think. Lane train has stopped. I think Alabama is probably like a good New Year's Six Bowl level team. I don't know that they are. I think they might get torn up by LSU because LSU can yeah. score and also can play defense. One that didn't get a lot of attention in the SEC that I think is relevant to point out is UK 45, Vanderbilt 28. Yeah. The game against Kentucky in two weeks is probably going to be the one that decides the SEC East, I personally think. I think Kentucky mm -hmm. might beat the crap out of Florida. Uh, Florida only scored 22 points against Charlotte. That's 
you don't want that if you're Florida. Charlotte's one of the worst teams in FBS. They're not even like just a regular bad body bag team. They're actually really bad. Uh, other things of note around the country, uh, Ohio State edges out 17 to 14 Notre Dame, despite Barely. the fact that Ryan yeah. Day called a horrible game in moments. Uh, they and then <laughs> poor Notre Dame. I don't know. I don't think I'd ever say this, but Ohio State scored the game winning touchdown with Notre Dame having 10 men on the field for two plays. And then yeah. Ryan Day got all chesty about how tough they were and how they could run on the inside <laughs> for like, you know, that that crucial last yard after they had done it against 10 men. And now finally to just sort of land this around the nation segment into our next segment, maybe the most important you could see Yara already leaning towards the camera. Maybe the most important <laughs> result on the day for Yara was Ugh. Oregon 42, Colorado 6. Yara, would you like to just elaborate at all on that score? Um, For all the listeners at home, I want you to pull out your phone right now if you're not listening to the <laughs> podcast on your phone and play The Man by Aloe Black, like the song, as I discuss this because – that's that's kind of the the energy that I'm about to bring over here. Uh -huh. Okay, mm -hmm. um, whoo, I'll, I'll give y'all a minute. <laughs> okay, Dion motherfucking Sanders, what happened? What what the fuck happened? You talked all this big game. You talked all this big game just to get shot down and bent over by Dan Lanning. Okay. Okay, saying some, oh, we're, we're from Colorado, we do things different out here. It's personal. What was personal? Your singular touchdown? Your, singu your singular one? Okay. Fuck all the way off. I was so sad when they scored that touchdown, too, because I wanted Oregon to just, like, straight up ice them up. But the score was fine, I guess. Um, And I was shocked that people, some people thought that, like, oh, Colorado's gonna destroy the shit out of Oregon. I, I heard some whispers of that online. And I just think it's so funny. Y'all had the audacity to doubt my lord and savior, Dan Lanning. Okay? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I... And from a perspective of, like, how they play... How Colorado specifically played, they were just riddled with stupid mistakes the entire time. It was just, you know, penalty after penalty after penalty. And they just weren't operating at the same level that, you know, we've been seeing them operate in the past. Um, and I get that, you know, Travis Hunter is out now with a lacerated liver. And obviously, like, I wish him the best because that sounds so painful. But I didn't think that their game would be so rocked just because of one person. Like, I didn't think that their flow would be fucked up to the extent that it was. I guess it's just, like, inherent Georgia bias, though, because we know how to reload. And evidently, Colorado doesn't. Thank you. I, I yield my time. I yeah. yield my time to the floor. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no notes. None. I, no. I, no. I, I did think it was interesting that Dan Lanning very clearly was of the mindset that they were going to just score as many points as they could. I think that it is not a secret among other college football coaches that there's a little bit of anger, jealousy, whatever, about how much attention that Dion has received. And I think it probably has to do with the fact that college football is hard. It's hard to be a college football coach. It's, it's a very hard job. And there's sort of this perception nationally that, you know, Dion has like solved the sport. And I think that that was probably, you know, the 
visual representation of Dan Lanning taking out the frustration of the entire coaching community on Colorado and Deion Sanders by proxy. So it was beautiful. It was poetry in motion. It was cathartic. It was so cathartic. I and like one of the reasons that one of the many reasons that I don't like what's happening at Colorado is because like it's my my hatred for what's happening there is based in ESPN and like other news outlets force feeding us stuff about like what is an average football team beating below average opponents and doing the same exact shit that everybody else is doing and like pretending that it's revolutionary you know Mm, and i'm paraphrasing from my friend zach here shout out him but like i just don't i don't i will never understand it and i will never get behind it and yeah just just gonna sit on that one my my hate for Deion Sanders is nowhere near Yara's hate for Deion Sanders. Mm, However, me neither. I, can still, I can still relate because I have a similar hate for Dabo Sweeney, who we didn't actually mention at all. But, <laughs> but oh, just Dabo just absolutely mismanaging the clock in those last like few minutes to the point of just Clemson is their own greatest enemy. And it really showed this weekend against FSU. Um, yeah, so that's that's really all I have to really say about that. But it just made my my heart so happy to see well, Dabo lose so hard. The thing that I liked about the result against that was the Clemson FSU game, by the way. But the thing that I liked about that result the most was that you know there's always been this discussion that oh Dabo doesn't do the transfer portal and Dabo he doesn't have enough skill talent because he doesn't do the transfer portal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought it was hilarious that. Really, the transfer that they needed was a kicker. And instead of getting a transfer (laughs) kicker at the beginning of the year, they got somebody from like the New York financial district that had gone to Clemson. Literally, this guy had a job last week before he came to be Clemson's kicker. And then he missed the game winner. So I thought that that was that 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 made me deeply happy. That's pretty fantastic. That is really odd. I didn't know all of that. But big dab a move. (laughs) Like, this guy's got eligibility, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's so much better than taking a transfer from somewhere else. Anyway, so Mm -hmm. let's get on to our... Let's focus now on the actual UAB game specifically, and let's go through what our experiences were like on the day. Is there anyone that feels moved by the spirit, Quaker style, who would like to go first? I'm I'm happy to kind of get mine out of the way because it was a... It's a pretty low key day, and I want to I want to really give you all the floor to do what you need to do. But mm. um, it was my mother's birthday this week, and I'll always remember it's her birthday because Earth, Wind, and Fire wrote a song about it. Thank you, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm. Um, September twenty first. Yes. So ran a five k with my mom in Atlanta. Uh, that's our way of celebrating um, because I don't know we dislike ourselves. Um, so woke up and had to drive out to Atlanta to do that. But uh, it was fantastic. Ate some great brunch at Homegrown, which is like this tiny little restaurant that's been turned into uh, this the greatest little diner with uh, like bologna sandwiches on the menu and meatloaf for breakfast, like all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, did that, got back to Athens, a little issue from traffic, and then the rest of the day was fantastic because there was so much good football on TV. I took a nap and I woke up, and as we said before, Colorado was losing to Oregon 35-0. to zero. And that was a great feeling. Um, and then I got to watch Davos when he lose, of course. But 
watched the Georgia game from home right on my couch and hopped on the uh, the ghost in thrifted art fad that TikTok is doing. I got a little picture of it in the notes <laughs> of uh, my ghost, my ghost art. But it's been it was a good weekend. And uh, I got to really hang out on the discord a lot more than I normally do because I'm usually running around. But y'all hit me with what kind of happened on your weekends. Well, I'll go first because Yara's I think got the most interesting weekend of the three of us. So <laughs> my beautiful, perfect wife had decided that she was going to go to this game. And then we woke up Saturday morning mm-hmm. and she was like, listen, it's the autumnal, it's the autumnal equinox. And it's one of the Celtic high holidays, one of the Celtic lunar holidays. And I have to go do witchy shit with my friend, Anna. And so that's what she mm-hmm. did instead of going to the game. And she was also part of your, thrifted art experiment i think and Mm -hmm. so i was sort of running this one stag it was a good day i really like the night the night home game that is against a lesser opponent is great because it brings out like a much different crowd you saw a lot of families on the day a lot of people bringing their kids to the game and the vibe was just very much like everyone was very happy to be there and that made me very happy Like, it was cool to see people who clearly did not have a lot of experience going to games live, being able to go to games and experience the night game. I thought that was very cool. Uh, Shout out to my friend. Speaking of which, my friends Kyle and Carrie took their their son, their wee little one, to his first UGA football game and seemed like he had a really good time. I dropped by my co-teacher's tailgate. Bob, who is my co-teacher, is also has a tailgate spot in the Tate deck, like overlooking dog walk, which is an excellent spot to have a tailgate, but also they have very good food. So shout out to them for feeding me. Let's see. (laughs) I, the Sousa show got, we moved the Sousa show in front of the new Tate center there, like where the ring of honor is and the bulldog and the flagpole in front of the Tate center. And you should come see it because it, it has been attracting a much bigger crowd than it had previously, which makes me quite happy. Let's see. And That's they also good. had a really good run. We we added two shows to our two songs to the Sousa show at the last minute, and they did a really good job. Shout out to RCB all day. We've had four home games in a row, which means that functionally, until next Friday, the RCB will not have had a day off from RCB stuff since the end of July. Like the very beginning of August, the wow. end of July was the last time they had non-Redcoat time. So this weekend is going to be a well-deserved break for everyone involved in the Redcoats. So good for all of you who are listening out there. I thought that the Redcoats had a very good run. They sounded really good on on the field as well. We have been having some problems getting the, the front ensemble mic'd and set up. And one of my jobs, sort of ancillary to my sousaphone work with the Redcoats, is that I help set up the soundboard. And we actually got the soundboard set up on time. And everybody was ready to play at the downbeat, which made me really happy. And like way less stressed out when I was setting up, I pulled the soundboard behind this, like behind the 50 on the home side behind the team and sitting right in front of me was the entire tight end room, which was really great because the tight end room is basically where all of Samantha, my wife's unmentioned crushes live. And I think she's a little (laughs) embarrassed because they're all much younger than her, but I did take some pictures for her and I was like, look at them. They're glistening. Look at how beautiful they are. I also got a very good picture of Brock Bowers, him. I've I've decided that I'm I'm probably going to need to change my pronouns to they them because I'll never be him. Anyway. <laughs> got him. Got him. I also 
sort of this was a very good day in general for Samantha and Samantha really college football stuff because her she's being drawn back into college football because of the men who she finds attractive. So it was it was a big day for a lot of like Samantha favorites, right? Uh, Marcus Freeman was on a lot, you know, very attractive coach at the game. Sam Hartman, everyone's beautiful velvet painting of Jesus, and Dan Lanning. They all had a lot of airtime. So I felt like Sam really got the full college football experience for her. Uh, let's see. Light Up Sanford was really cool. It's really funny. It's really funny that people clearly come to the UGA games at this point for Light Up Sanford because it was, you know, the game was basically over. Light Up Sanford happens. The the At that point, the stadium is functionally full. Light Up Stanford happens and like a time lapse in in fast forward as soon as it's over and the light shows over people just start streaming out of the stadium. And so I think it's just interesting. It keeps the crowds better but only until the third. <laughs> and then during the fourth it just yeah. it emptied out so fast. <clears throat> Let's see. I got I got to go over to Justin's afterward and watch the end of the Phantom of the Opera movie, which was great because I hate it. And I also hate musicals writ large. <laughs> That's probably my least popular opinion. I hate musicals. Nathan's hottest take. My hottest take is yeah. that I don't like musicals. And it's okay. Like, I, they're just not for me. We'll just say they're not for me. Not everything's for everybody. And musicals are not for me. So I spent like an hour just bagging on this movie. And it, I really had a good time. I The only thing I love more than loving things is hating them, you know? Uh, let's see. <laughs> The UAB band, the UAB band was there, and that was great. It was good to see the Blazer band. Their uniforms are actually good. In our last, in our last preview episode, we played the "Are the uniforms good?" episode and are the are the uniforms good game, and we all said yes, and their uniforms were good, so that was cool. Let's They're pretty see. good. Yeah, uh, the Roger Dance Young Conductor Award goes every year to the high school drum major who does the UGA drum major camp that like excels the most, and that person always comes and directs the spell georgia cheer and she or conducts it and she came out this week she was from north forsyth her name was lila shout out to her very good conductor also shout out to her because she had her hair in this interesting hairstyle and i said oh i like your braids and just then she in very typical senior high school girl fashion was like they're called bubble braids and then she explained <laughs> how to put your hair up in bubble braids for like 20 minutes and honestly like I appreciated that. That was something I did not know was bubble braids. So anyway, that was my day. Nice. Very boring compared to Yara's. Yara. I love how oh. much you're, you're, you're handing out shout outs like candy today. Nathan. <laughs> I had great. a good time. It was such a wholesome game, man. It was just like a really, yeah. the weather was good and there were a lot of kids running around and I was like, oh, this is like the good side of SEC football and not the normal side that I see, <laughs> which is like 20 year olds throwing up. And so it was really nice. Yeah. All right. Yara. Oh, yeah. Walk me through your less wholesome day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I woke up pretty refreshed because, and you guys are going to be shocked at this, but I didn't go out on Friday. I had a mean Mm. day. I stayed home and rested. Proud of you. Yeah. Thank you. We love a self-care moment. Oh, absolutely. It was so good. Um, And then... I kind of just chilled out for the day. I just watched a shit ton of football. It was so good. And then Kaylee came over. Shout out Kaylee. And we had a very fun time screaming at my TV. And the records <laughs> sounded so good. Like, I just need to say that. The records sounded incredible. And 
we, Kaylee and I decided to play a game called take a shot every time we score a touchdown. And that, um, that was a time. <laughs> and I, Kaylee has a friend, a little bit of a friendship crush on Brock Bowers. And that's very different than me who has a crush crush on Brock Bowers. So that's a fun, that's a fun part. I also read the, uh, quit saying no to me quote from Trent Dilfer to Kaylee and she too was rocked. All right. And <laughs> bricked, we, bricked up. Yep. We went out afterwards. Um, and it was so much fun. We started at Sake Mama, as always. And I I don't know how this keeps happening, but I just got some free shots from the bartenders. And like I don't know okay. I didn't need free shots. I didn't need that, but I appreciate <laughs> it. I <laughs> I'm not appreciating it today, this this morning especially, but I appreciated it last night. Um, we ended at church and got to watch the drag show, which was super cool. And then I then I had a very good night. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Um, and this morning I woke up with not quite a hangover, but definitely like sleepy. Um, and my tummy hurts. Sleepy. Aww. Yes. I know, and it's the first time that I've had a, like, quote, hangover, unquote, since maybe freshman year. Um, and I don't know if it's even a hangover like that. Like, my tummy just hurts. And but I this do is... remember you saying that. Yep. I remember you, I'm sorry. I just remember you telling us once that you never got hangovers, and I was like, wow. Yeah, I... We'll see about that. <laughs> I don't want... I, I don't like to glorify alcohol usage or anything, but I am a little concerned about if your body is made of rubber or something, because if you had six shots because we scored six touchdowns and then you went to Sake Mama mm -hmm. and got multiple free shots after those six shots. I'm just them, man. I, yeah. And I, don't, and I never <laughs> want to really focus on anyone's body too much because I think you're 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 you're. Your quality and your value as a person has way more to do with the things that aren't physical, I think, just as a general rule for all humans. But you can't weigh more than, like, 110 pounds. So how you're not dead right now is just... It's pretty incredible. It's beyond me. Anyway. I appreciate that so much. But I do, in fact, weigh more than 110 pounds. Okay. I, I how, appreciate it, that Okay, sentiment, However <laughs> much you read... You, like, let me, let me put it this way. When I lift weights, there... I can lift your weight on most exercises, and I am not that strong. Let me put it that way. <laughs> what we don't, you know, I don't need Word. a number. I'm just saying in general. Like if I tried to lift your weight, nobody at the gym would look at me weird, unless I was doing like a one-handed <laughs> curl or something. Uh, let's see. That's what else was I going to say? I I also just I'm just a little staggered. And again, your value as a person has nothing to do with your 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 looks, but. <laughs> You're, you just said, I don't know how I keep getting free shots from bartenders. And it's like, I would say it's probably because you were an attractive young woman at a bar with sleazy bartenders. If I was going to guess, I would say that that is it. Okay, that's fair. But like, I don't know. I just, I'm just nice to them, you know, like, <laughs> I just think that they're cool and they deal with a lot. And I'm just nice to them. And like, I also yeah. ended up buying the bartender who was getting me free shots a shot for them because like, I mm. will feel bad if I don't return the favor. So yeah, you're hot so, and nice. Like, it's not, it's okay. not staggering. <laughs> like, I, I don't know Thank you. how this is confusing you. Anyway. <laughs> it just does, man. 
But, oh, um, my last thing is I have a very firmly held belief ever since freshman year that Yacht Rock can cure any hangover whatsoever. That's true. Yep. That's exactly, yeah. Freshman year, um, Kaylee and I had a playlist called the Hangover Playlist, and it was just Jimmy Buffett. Like, it was, <laughs> it was just banger after banger after banger. And, God, it was so good. And it works every single time. So, dear listeners at home, um, please listen to Yacht Rock whenever you feel ill after a night out. And R.I.P. Jimmy Buffett, my personal savior. I think he was so cool. That's it. I do Thank like you. Do you have the Jimmy Buffett playlist that you have been using that you can link? Can you share it out? Ooh, yeah, we'll yes throw I it can. in the show notes. I also like sure. that you so often, Yara, the sort of vibe of this podcast when you're on it is like, oh, I don't know why my podcast dads are such idiots. Like, I'm Gen Z and they're millennials. <laughs> but sometimes you yourself are like a middle-aged man that's maybe even older than the two of us and saying, I think Yacht Rock heals all hangovers is a deeply middle-aged man thing to say. Also saying Jimmy Buffett is my personal savior is a deeply middle-aged man thing to say. You're you're like a parrot head, feel- dog. Oh, god, Big time parrot head, yep. Operating just- on island time over here. Let's get quantitative. So... We are going to do this in two stages. First, we can do our observations, and then I will hit you with some stats, hopefully to back those observations up. Would you like to begin, Mr. Bray? Sure. I'd, be lo- I'd love to, yeah. <clears throat> One of my favorite comments that we all have in this, this episode is that Brock Bowers is him. And that did indeed come straight from the mouths of the commentators, which I thought the commentators from the very beginning, they kind of started out strong. Then it got real bad, and then it got worse somehow. <laughs> they did somehow wrap up the this this episode of football with Brock Powers as him, but it's true he is he's truly unbelievable. He's going to make so much money in the NFL, and it still won't be enough. It seems like uh, this past week the coaches just spent their time reminding Beck that he could put the ball in Brock's hands, and he would score. and And Beck followed that advice, which I really appreciate. Uh, another thing that I am curious to see if the stats sort of, sort of help us understand is that it seems like the eye test tells me that Beck's greatest weakness seems to be the placement, uh, his his ball placement on slant routes. Uh, he has no problem with the deep ball. He has no problem with any other route, to my knowledge, from what I can see. But it just really seems like slant and like lateral routes. He doesn't seem to put the ball where it needs to be. It's always behind the receiver. He's not reading that properly or in a game time decision receivers might be running faster than they would be in practice and he just hasn't put those things together i don't know um i don't need stats to tell me that someone needs to buy will muschamp some damn bifocals the man's gonna lose his glasses mm. if he hasn't already he probably keeps many in his pocket at all times but they're always sitting at the edge of his, his nose someone help the man out um another notable observation uab is the first team to score 14 points against georgia in the first quarter in the last three seasons that is uh upsetting but <laughs> um it is is worth noting i think and, and i think that it does have a lot to do with you know javon bullard still being out but um other things i've got here i have a question for y'all that i'm gonna build towards but the the beck to bowers touchdown deep ball was probably the best thing i've seen carson beck do all season uh which was upsetting to hear the commentators just afterwards just uh shit talk carson beck but i thought it was a great ball placement bowers cleaned up well for him it was a touch short, but he trusted his receiver, which is, I think, a skill that quarterbacks have to learn or they they never learn. Um, 
and it's it's just something that they have to practice. But um, it was fantastic. It was beautiful. It's the kind of thing that I want to see UGA quarterbacks do, but we don't get to see that often. Uh, also, I am excited to see. It, it's been interesting the way that like if this was any other team with as many issues as we've had in our our running back room and our depth, I think that we would be in bigger trouble than we are. But what I'm really excited about that it's making us do is throw the ball um and we're doing it well and we've got a lot of sort of like wide receivers that i don't think i can't recall the last time i've seen a georgia team with this like it's not a depth of talent as much as it is like it feels like a different identity at receiver um and that is it's just fun to watch um this game was fun to watch through the air from start to finish um but the last question i have for y'all uh to to close out my sort of observations and, and quantitative questions is uh delp to me oscar delp delp's last name it sounds like either an onomatopoeia or a euphemism for something and if it were more colloquially like used i wanted to ask both of you what do you feel like it would mean to get either like to get delped or if like a delp was a sound for something why do you want to make this episode so filthy man it didn't need to be filthy (laughs) okay let me try to make this completely appropriate I don't know if I can. Yara, you got anything that's like PG on what Delp could be? Get the Delp out. <laughs> I looked up what euphemism means because like in theory, mm-hmm. I know what it means, but in practice, I Ooh. don't. Sorry, Nathan. Nathan, take us to English class. A euphemism. Euphemism and onomatopoeia. Yeah. So a euphemism is a way of saying something inappropriate indirectly or just in general, a way of indirectly saying something without coming out here and saying it. It is like a uh, in, implicit statement. I, I was thinking that delp is like the noise that it makes when you've left leftovers in Tupperware for too long and they've started to like put out like gas and it's like making it a little too like swollen and you open it up and it just goes like delp and like <laughs> delp. Yeah. I appreciate See, that. See, that one was appropriate. I like that a lot. Yeah, pretty appropriate. All right. I also have some observations. I also agree. Brock okay. Bowers is him. I think that in general, if we're looking for positive things on this team, as opposed to previous teams, because I know it's very easy to see bad things, you know, in terms of the last in relative to the last two seasons, I think that our wide receiver core is the best that it's been since Kirby Smart has been here. Uh, I think Dominic mm-hmm. Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas are clearly settling in and understand the offense. Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint is a weapon. He, this yes. weekend, he had the deepest depth of target of any receiver on the team. He had 94 yards on f- three catches on five targets. His average depth of target was 11. And he was the highest rated run blocker who was not an offensive lineman. I think that he it brings a dimension to this offense in the passing game that we have not had in the past, just in terms of being a giant body that can run and block. I think that Dominic Lovett is elite. I think that not even having Lad McConkey, that once we have Lad McConkey back in this lineup, that it's going to be one of the best pass catching rooms that we've ever had. And that is even outside of having Brock Bowers, maybe the best player in the nation. I think that CJ Smith is also kind of the future in some ways in regards to the wide receiver room. He had a really badly blown block that led to a negative play in the fourth quarter, I think, but he is pressing for time already. Uh, so I think that despite the fact that obviously this, some of it's by necessity, like you said, because of all the injuries that 
we are in the right we are in the right situation to be uh to to need to be able to throw the ball because we have a lot a lot yeah. of weapons i I'm interested in what people are seeing that they're trying to run horizontally on us on offense and with some success. And I'm not sure whose mm-hmm. fault it is. I know Tyke Smith has been really great at star. I think part of it is safety. The guy who is usually in the box to stop the run outside. I don't know that we've had a guy that can do that like Javon Bullard. And I know that David Daniel has kind of looked a little bit out of sorts at times this year. So I think that once Bullard comes back, that'll help. But I'm not fully sure of that. The other observation I had is that I thought this was a pretty well-called game offensively by UAB. There was some, what I would consider to be like chicken shit high school stuff where they were like pretending they were going to do like a 11 and like puts a swinging gate basically on the formation. But outside of that, I thought that they had a feeling of like how they wanted to attack and where they wanted to go to with the ball. And you know, despite the fact that this team is clearly not on Georgia's level, this was a pretty big FBS team in person. Like they, they have size definitely. So I actually thought that it was better than I thought it would be from Trent Dilfer and company. I looked it up and I didn't realize that actually UAB's offensive line coach, as well as their offensive uh, play caller, their offensive coordinator were both Saban sort of not acolytes because they're offensive guys, but they were both on Saban's staff at Alabama with Kirby Smart for like four or five years. So it makes sense that they were well prepared offensively. I thought that, you know, defensively, we only gave up really the first team only gave up one open field touchdown in the sense that the two minute drill touchdown was the only one that they had that was not aided either by having the second team in or by having the uh, having a turnover and having a short field. And I really think if there's anything that's a concern, it is that that two-minute drill touchdown, not because it heralds that we are bad on defense, but because when you give up a touchdown on a two-minute drill, a lot of that is a reflection of how well-prepared you are and you know your discipline and can you get in the right place, can you communicate. And Kirby actually said in his press availability that they prepare six or seven plays defensively. Like they prepare for six or seven plays in the two minute drill, like the plays they think that UAB was going to run. And that of the seven plays UAB ran in their two minute drill, the defensive coordinator said prepared the team for six of them. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it's an issue of, Oh, there's some kind of problem in the defense, but I do think it's clear that the defense lacks the kind of vocal leadership that we've had in the past. And that, I'm sure that having Bullard out and Torin Ingram Dawkins out has not helped. Um, yeah, I would say that's about it in notes. I have some more stats, but Yara, do you have any other notes to to put out? Um, I mean, Brock Bowers is him. You know, he is him. I have sources that tell me that he ate a peanut butter and jelly uncrustable before the game, <laughs> and I think that's the realest thing ever. And I'm here for that. Yeah, absolutely. Me, yeah. Um, I, I think I need to publish a notes app apology about how much I've been shitting on Carson Beck. Yeah, I, you do. I guess that's just what's going to happen now. Okay. <laughs> um, apparently he ate a packet of ramen before the game. And if that's what we need from now on, I guess like keep raw dog in it. Keep fucking that ramen up. I'm willing to bet that he got chicken ramen because that's infinitely better than beef ramen. Argue with the floor. Huh? Yes. Okay. And I 
like while I was watching the game, I kind of had a revelation. Um, and I think we talked about it last episode. But we are doing a way better job than before in offensive, you know, coordination as a team. But it's occurred to me that we're running like the same shit that we have been pre Mike Bobo, right? And we're running the same shit that we have been in years past. But I don't know if that's a smart idea to keep doing that when we have different strengths and when we have a mostly different roster now. I don't think that that's very bright. And I think it might be necessary to update the playbook in order to match our new strengths rather than our old ones. That might be the most put together thing I've ever said on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's pretty solid. Yeah. No, that was smart. Yeah, I think... I agree that there has been a feeling out. I, you know, you, the process of installing an offensive game plan happens over the fall and spring, like sort of your overall offense, like the plays that you think you can run the best with your talent that you had and losing your top two running backs and arguably top three running backs in the first few weeks of the season puts a wrench in that. So I think it kind of makes sense that there has been an adaptation process. And I think, even without the change to Bobo, you would have seen this process because like you said, this is not the team that we had last year. And frankly, we probably have more better pass catchers than we did last year on this team. So, I mean, even without, even with losing some to transfer, you know what I mean? So I I think that was incredibly cogent. So good job. So I have a couple of stats for us and just like an overall sort of what the stats are telling me segment here. If we start on the defense, uh, Dalen Everett gave up two receptions on two targets for 20 yards, and he had a 68.3 PFF grade. That's fine, and it's far higher than it was in the past. Defensively, I think someone who is going a little bit unnoticed is Warren Brinson. He was our highest-rated defender, but he was separately our higher f- highest-rated run defender and highest-rated pass rush defender. He is a beast in the inside. He is... I think he's the next big defensive line guy. He had a sack without Mikhail Williams. He had like three pressures. He plays the run really well. He was all over the field. He's very active, even outside of the trenches. Like he, he's got the speed to go laterally if he needs to and catch some of those outside passes, you know, uh, you know, from behind. And I think that's really good. I think that he is a guy to watch number, I believe 97. Highly recommend that you check him out when he's on the field. Uh, We stopped 44% of UAB's runs for less than two yards, two yards or less. And we only allowed 40% of the runs to go more than four yards. So that's way better on a run defense. We only allowed 1.6 offensive line yards per down, you know, line, line yards, poor carry that is. So while this team defensively is not up to the same standard that it has in the past, in particular with the run defense, because of the loss of people like Jordan Davis and Walker, I still think that this is a team that can field a very good run defense. We have also gotten better uh, defensively in terms of defending the pass over the past few weeks. This was our highest rated pass defense game from PFF of any game that we played. So despite giving up one long drive, I still feel pretty good about where the defense was. Offensively, I think, you know, it's like I think on defense, the big question is how do we get the back side of the defense together? You know, either with having Javon Bullard come in or with having Dylan Everett or Dalen Everett re- improve, or even having some of these talented freshmen, uh, Joel Aguirre, who is number eight, who is a, or Jonel Aguirre, who is number eight, who is a five-star freshman who came in at safety. He looked really good in reserve. That's the big question on defense. Offensively, I think the big question is 
the right side of the line. The left side of the line actually had a really good day. Dylan Fairchild and Ernest Green, the left tackle and guard, had were the highest rated pass and run blockers for us on the day. And I thought they looked way better. Ernest Green didn't have the sort of... He, in the past, Ernest Green has given up some pressures and lost his man in pass blocking, especially just by being in the wrong place or looking at the wrong place. And he's done the same thing in running in run plays. So I think he looked a lot better. The right side of the line is a problem. Tate Ratledge did not have a great day, especially in run blocking on the inside. He just got pinched back all day. And that was something that I didn't even need PFF to tell me. And Xavier Trust, man, <clears throat> I try to avoid banging on people too much personally because I know these are just kids. And despite the fact that some of them are getting paid for NIL, they are not professional athletes at this point. And even if they were professional athletes, they don't deserve to be shit on personally. But Xavier Trust did not have a good day, dude. He was he was the lowest rated offensive lineman who played consistently throughout the game. He was lower rated on PFF than uh, Drew Bobo was. As in Drew Bobo, like Mike Bobo's son, who is a walk-on offensive lineman and probably like the 20th offensive lineman on the field. He just got kind of moved around a little bit. He looked a little out of sorts and run and run blocking. And I think mostly that was because he just was going to the wrong place. I'm not trying to bag on him, but it's got to improve, especially if we're going to be missing Mims for an extended amount of time. Now, on the positive side, Brock Bowers is him. But let me tell you how him he is statistically. He had 121 yards on nine catches. He had nine catches on nine targets. 111 of those 121 yards were yards after the catch. His average depth of target was only 1.1 yards past the line of scrimmage, and he averaged 12 yards per uh, after the catch per target. That is the ultimate security blanket. When you throw to this dude, he is going to get you a first down. That is basically what it meant. Uh, his NFL passer rating when targeted when targeted was 158.3, which is perfect. 158.3 is the highest NFL passing rating you can get. I like genuinely, no one's gonna say this. And there are other dudes who are maybe more physically impressive than him or more exciting. But in terms of his positional value and what he is to the in comparison to the rest of the guys at his position, even historically, Brock Bowers might be the best player in the nation right now. He is unhinged good. I already talked about this, but Marcus, uh, but Rosemi Jack Saint had a really good game. I think he just brings something different. Beck had zero turnover worthy plays. He had an 83.9 adjusted completion percentage. He had four drops on the day. 83.9 adjusted completion percentage is elite. He had an average at the target of 6.7. So he's not just throwing behind the line. This dude is a weapon. He is the real deal. I don't think he's Caleb Williams. I don't think that he is a Heisman candidate. But I also don't think that he is a game manager. He is good. He And I think uh, Justin was saying earlier that he has some problems on the crossing routes. And I do think that's true of the of the passes that he missed, like incompletions that he had. Uh, like, I think three of them were over the middle between zero and seven y- yards of the line of scrimmage. And that's where your traditional like slant routes are. I think that his problem is that he sometimes like aims behind his 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 wide receiver or he just aims period and the ball ends up behind the wide receiver. Let's see any other statistical notes. Uh, The run game. It's not where we want it to be overall because of the injuries, obviously, but statistically it was very good. 2.73 yard lines per carry. 63% of our, our runs went for more than four yards. Very good day from in the run game. Uh, I think the biggest negative to me outside of worrying about the right side of the offensive line and the back end of the defense was the special teams. 
Uh, what happened to our number one ranked special teams unit? We're currently 63rd per SP plus uh, Jackson Meeks, Ugh. Dylan Bell. Uh, and then who else caught a ball? Makai Muse. Sorry. There Mackay we go. Muse. Mackay Muse. Let's play the uh, cover up the ball on returns challenge, please. Uh, we had a pretty good day in terms of punting. Britt Thorson is a weapon. He's one of the best rated punters in the nation. PFF rates rates him as the eighth highest rated punter. He's 19th in the nation in net punting, and he has way more punts than a lot of people who are above him. So I don't know. He also has the best pregame fits in the team. So that's not statistical. It's just something you should know about him. You also have a <laughs> highlight here. You should just know. Yeah, you should just know. He has the best pregame fits on the team. Brett Thorson. I love him. You also have a note here. I believe Justin wrote this down. Do you want to? Do you want to bring in your your campaign, or is this Yara? Oh, this is not my campaign. Oh, Yara, this is a Yara campaign. Yara, do you want to? Do you want to start your campaign? Do you want to like make a campaign announcement here? Yes. Um. I was okay. You guys are going to be so proud of me. I did mm-hmm. research like about Whoa. football. I know. Okay. okay ready. Okay. Go in off. the history of the Heisman Trophy award only two tight ends have ever won it right it was larry kelly who was a tight end at yale in 1936 and it was leon i think i'm saying that right hart who uh in 1949 who won it at notre dame boom and i would like to announce a campaign for brock bowers to become the third heisman winner I think that he deserves it. And especially, you know, one play specifically keeps coming to mind for me. It was, I don't know when it was, but he just like full on shoved a defender, right? He just, oh yeah. Doosh. And, you know, looking at that and looking at his, like the way that he is literally carrying this team and the way that he has been carrying this team for, or been a significant part in the, in carrying the team for the past, you know, two-ish, three-ish. I guess we're going on our third year now. I just think that he deserves the Heisman. And if, which this is like a really big if, but if he decides to come back for a fourth year and everybody say a quick prayer, everybody do some manifesting (laughs) that he dies um, because NFL money is so stupid high, but NIL money is also getting stupid high. So maybe he'll stay. Maybe it'll be fun. I think that this or next year could be his year. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a dark horse for the Heisman. And I just, I wanted to discuss that with you guys. Well, he's not I'm coming back. It. I'm going to get the pins. He's not coming back. Yeah, yeah I I, I'm sorry back. to say that, but he's, he's just okay. really not. But I think, yeah, I think he could okay. be a dark horse candidate. I, I actually do think that occasionally you have your your non-traditional candidate who goes to the Heisman ceremony. So I, I think he could do that. I think he could go to New York, but I don't think he's going to win it. And I don't think he's coming back. I think that the big things to consider, though, this is what I, I like to look at, like in the past years where we've had folks that weren't quarterbacks, because I I do also have um, lots of feelings about the fact that it's just it's a quarterback award. And I think that's so stupid uh, because it makes this game shallow and it makes the award shallow. Um uh, I do not believe that quarterbacks are the most important people on the field. And that's been made true for us here at Georgia. Um, As Georgia fans, it's obvious to us that that is not the most um, important um, position on the field. But I will say, I think this is a fairly light quarterback um, class um, when you compare it to other quarterback classes. Like if USC continues to do well, Caleb Williams is the front runner and will continue to be the front runner. If Washington continues to do well, Michael Penix Jr. will be uh, a close to front runner. 
Um, and Quinn Ewers, if they continue to do well, he will also stay on top. It kind of depends on like, like looking at those three teams. Um, I think the best chance of, of somebody coming out on top is probably Texas. Um, and the other quarterbacks doing well, like Bo Nix, I think is the true dark horse of this, this Heisman, um, class potentially. Um, and he just had his, his sort of big statement game this past week. Um, but past that, I think that like USC is going to lose some stuff. Washington's going to lose some stuff. Like we're going to have some messy games from these front runners and one of the QBs will probably come on top. But all that to say, I think there's a chance you might, you'll definitely see Brock Bowers like go up in the rankings, especially if it continues to get hundred plus yard games. Yeah, absolutely. He's got to, he's so, got to keep doing out hope Yara. And actually, I think one of you mentioned that Carson Beck had forgotten how to throw to Brock Bowers, but they actually said a couple, yes. I think they said last week that they had been intentionally limiting his touches to save him for the stretch run. And I guess this is where that stops when we get into SEC play. I know UAB is not the SEC, yeah, but we're now sense. into the SEC season. Anyway, yeah. this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, feel free to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your fine podcasts are provided from. If you would like to contact us, you can find us on any social media that we are on at Chapel Bell Curve. And if you don't see Chapel Bell Curve, we're not on your social media. You know, you're not going to find us on Truth Social, but that's life. If you'd like to get into contact us with us in a more traditional way, you can find us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast for as little as $1 a month, you can join our Patreon. $1 gets you access to a great, great community of patrons, some of whom are listening to this live. You can get more benefits as you support more going up from there. We will catch you this weekend, I suppose in parts unknown, for the Auburn game. I'm not going to the Plains, or either of you going to Auburn for the game? I don't think nope. so. Uh-uh. Oh, All right. hell no. So we will catch my you. My sophomore f- year, I got my water stolen. Yeah. It was nasty. No we can cut that. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, like, I, I hate those sons of bitches. We will catch you from parts unknown. <laughs> Remember, as always, I like driving in my truck. Auburn sucks. And go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>